The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Is the Fed going to get even more aggressive? Another big bank joining the calls, predicting a more hawkish Jay Powell. Ukraine de-escalation debunked. New intel suggesting Russia may be preparing to carry out an attack. NATO leaders weighed their response. We are live on the ground in Brussels. And then former Goldman Sachs Asset Management Chair Jim O'Neill is here to lay out what you need to watch. Charlie Munger not mincing words on inflation, issuing a dire warning on the consequences of higher prices. Chip Crush, NVIDIA, posting record quarterly sales on sky-high demand for its semis and pulling the plug on Tim Cook's Apple Pay plan. Shareholders being urged to say no to the CEO's multi-million dollar compensation. It's all happening on this Thursday, February 17th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to be back with you. And I got a little good news for you, by the way. It's already February 17th. Many people have a three-day weekend coming up because Monday is a holiday. Remember, the stock market is closed. And, yeah, there's something else in there, but I forgot. Oh, it was 80 in Phoenix, and it's 20 degrees here. We'll forget about that. All right, let's get right now to your money in the global markets and how they are setting up their Thursday stock futures. Not looking like such great news. They are in the red. Dow futures off about uh, just 145. NASDAQ off a couple of tenths of 1%, but it's early. We've seen changes. Markets down, whatever. NASDAQ's actually had a pretty good month so or week so far. It's up 2.5%. Maybe I shouldn't say anything out loud. Don't want to jinx it. But it's actually been a pretty good week so far for many big-name tech stocks. Well, overall, stocks reversing an earlier sell-off on Wednesday on the back of the minutes of the Fed's latest policy meeting, indicating maybe they may not be as aggressive. But then somebody says they will be more aggressive, and we'll figure it out. All right. Let's move on now and talk about bond yields because you got 10-year yields uh, above 2% right now. They've been there kind of holding for a while. Obviously, look at energy prices, continue to look at the Ukraine-Russia situation. Actually, oil and natural gas are moving down just a bit. Investors in that market maybe not quite as concerned as some about what might happen. Still, WTI crude's over 91 a barrel. In crypto, Bitcoin can't really get out of its own way lately. Bitcoin just above 43,000. And one of your morning's big early movers is NVIDIA. Its fourth quarter results topping expectations. The chip maker doubling profits and introducing record sales. CEO Jensen Huang saying NVIDIA is seeing, quote, exceptional demand, not just good, exceptional, and that supply constraints were easing and that the company's supplier products would increase substantially in the second half of this year. Gross margins, though, flat from the previous quarter still. So that's probably why the stock is down just a bit. But overall, some positive news, at least maybe on the supply chain, although you heard our interview with the on-semi CEO yesterday from Phoenix saying that he did not see his market necessarily easing up any time in the next six months or so. All right, 
Let's go down around the world and see how things are trading all over the globe. Juliana Tattlebaum is in London with a look at the early trade in some of your key headlines out of Europe. Juliana Tattlebaum back in the living room. <laughs> Juliana, good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Brian. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you had to leave the sunshine. I guess we're both struggling a little bit this morning. Um, as for European equities, it's been a choppy start to the trading session. The stock 600 currently trading marginally lower, but today it's really all about single stocks. Uh, so let me run through a few of the highlights for you. Airbus reported a 4% rise in full year revenue, posting a record net income. The French aircraft maker says it's seen recovery in its commercial as well as its defense and space business divisions, delivering 611 commercial aircraft in the year. The group expects the momentum to continue this year, raising its guidance and delivery targets, as well as restarting dividend payments for the first time in two years. Caring, the luxury group, is the second best performing stock in Europe this morning after posting a 35% rise in full year revenue on the back of strong sales at its key brands, Gucci and Saint Laurent. The French luxury group says it's confident about its overall growth going into the new year, despite warnings of price increases. And we've got a interview coming up with the CEO and chairman of Caring, a very rare public appearance. So uh, be sure to look out for headlines from that interview. And then finally, Nestle. Uh, shares are a little changed, but the company in focus this morning says rising input costs will impact its pricing in 2022, much like we've heard from all of uh, the companies in this sector. The Swiss Food Group did report better than expected full-year earnings. Organic sales uh, rose 7.5% throughout 2021, and net profit surged 38%. Um, so that was a story for Nestle. Uh, it is a big day for single stocks, as I said, Brian. Juliana Tattlebaum, look forward to seeing you any, wherever it is, the living room, the studio. We just <laughs> always look forward to seeing you, Juliana. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, why don't we stick with Europe and, and your top story this morning. Despite talk of some de-escalation, new intelligence suggesting Russia is planning at least a, quote, limited Military attack on Ukraine as continues to stock up forces on the border. That is the latest report from the U.S. Defense Department, which says that as many as 7,000 new Russian troops may have joined the roughly 150,000 already stationed right around the border over Ukraine. This as NATO defense ministers are set to conclude a two-day meeting in Brussels. And Russia's foreign minister says they will send a response to the United States today about security guarantees. There's a lot going on. Let's put it all together with CNBC's Sylvia Amaro joining us now live on the ground outside of NATO HQ. Good morning, Sylvia. Good morning, Brian. Indeed, the NATO defense ministers have started their second day of talks here in Brussels in the building behind me. As you mentioned, it's NATO's headquarters. And indeed, their message so far has been that they have not seen any signs of de-escalation from the Russian side. This is after the Kremlin said earlier this week that they had started to remove some of the troops that are they have been close to the border with Ukraine. But for NATO, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. In fact, the head of NATO, Jens Stoltenberg, said that Russia still has a lot of military capacity close to the border with Ukraine and that, in fact, is ready to attack. In this context, I have to say that I caught up with the Canadian defense minister earlier this morning, and she said that NATO is ready for any eventuality. And Brian, I have to say as well that NATO is concerned at this moment in time about whether these tensions with Russia will actually become the new normal for European security.
Any talk of potential sanctions on Russia by leaders in Europe, across Europe, Sylvia? Well, indeed, that has been one of the main focuses and question marks. In fact, earlier this week, we heard the United Kingdom saying that they are willing to go as far as blocking Russian firms from accessing capital markets in London. Uh, but from a European perspective, Ryan, we're still waiting for more detail on what sort of consequences there will be if indeed Russia decides to invade. But I have to say that the 27 European leaders will be gathering later today here in Brussels as well. And perhaps we'll get some more detail when it comes to sanctions as well. All right, Sylvia Morrow, thank you very much, Sylvia. Appreciate that outside of NATO's headquarters. What well, is not just Russia, Ukraine, of course, giving investors around the globe some uncertainty and reasons to pause. Wall Street also facing pressure from the Federal Reserve set to deliver their first interest rate hike in years at their two-day policy meeting next month in March. At least that's what we think. Calls for more hikes are growing even louder among big banks. In the last 12 hours, J.P. Morgan became the latest to boost their target for rate hikes this year, joining the likes of Goldman Sachs and Bank of America the base case is now seven, one quarter of one percent hikes from a previous five. Seven hikes would be what? Just under two percent. Bank says a number of factors played into that decision, including the latest consumer price index inflation data and more hawkish commentary from central bank officials in the U.S. and around the world. Joining us now on this and more is former Goldman Sachs Asset Management Chair Jim O'Neill, uh, Jim, it's always a pleasure to get your views because this is such a critical time. You really got three things. You kind of got the Russia situation, central bank situation, uh, and the China situation. Let's first start with the former, and, and that is Russia. Uh, however this yeah. plays out, because at this point it's hard to know what to believe, uh, what should investors be doing given all the uncertainty around what ultimately may occur? Uh, Tulsa Cohen? Uh, you know, I, on this one, Brian, it's, I mean, everything is very complicated. I remember I was chatting with you a few weeks ago, and unfortunately, the year's panning out uh, so far exactly as I'd sort of thought. Uh, there were so many uh, complex and highly unpredictable issues that we even know about, and Russia's just a new one. Uh, each time I see a report about the, the words being said about the troops, that it's, it's like a whole new way of thinking about conflicts. And we don't know how much game playing is going on from our own security people, never mind, of course, endless ones from Russia. And, I, you know, I haven't got a clue what's going to happen. Uh, the only thing I would say, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me that Russia would launch a full-blown invasion of Ukraine. But, you know, I'm no security expert, yeah. but... The bigger comment for you in the context of the other issues is I find myself thinking, even if it turns out that there is no conflict and Russia takes its troops away, you know, the bond market will sell off. Uh, and, and at the margin, it, it, it will add to people's confidence about uh, growth not diminishing and, and immediately bring back fears about the Fed. So... I'm not sure, you know, in a bizarre way, one could even construct an idea of ongoing Russian tensions might be helpful because it would make central banks marginally less hawkish, I suppose. But I, I think the well, real... Please, Jim, Jim, yeah. 
Please don't say that's biz- please don't say that's bizarre because that's exactly how I think and what I have talked about before, which is you've got this sort of weird dichotomy where to your point, if Russia, you know, you help people to come on and say if Russia goes into Ukraine, uh, the market may sell off a lot and it might in the near term. But to your line of thinking and, and myself, if anybody cares what I think, is that you're right. They go in which is unlikely, but if they do, Fed suddenly can't be as hawkish because it's now an uncertain world, pull back on those rate hike expectations that I just talked about, and all of a sudden you kind of have the Fed bid back in the, the stock and bond markets. It's not crazy. There you go. Well, they, uh, yeah, it's nice to hear you uh, rationalize it also. It, it seems to me certainly in the background that the the whole issue of the Fed's policy framework and what appears to be marginally growing disagreements amongst Fed members uh, is a a much bigger issue for bond and stock markets. And it's not obvious to me that it's going to go away anytime soon. So somehow market uh, traders and investors have have just got to deal with it. You know, again, as we discussed a few weeks ago for unless you come from our generation, uh, it's probably pretty difficult for a lot of people because they've not seen this before. But here, here we are with all of this going on and the 10-year bonds above 2% still this morning. And if we get further strength of data and, and more concerns about inflation, then you know the bond market's going to sell off again and the Fed will have to do yeah. what the Fed will have to do. Um, you know... Again, as I think we've touched on, and I've been talking about it a lot here in the UK, quite critical of the policy framework here. What what we're really seeing when you reflect on it from 40,000 feet is why why have short-term rates been so low for so long? And they should have exited QE probably uh, earlier than they've done and not been so aggressive with it during the pandemic. But hindsight is an easy thing to say, of course. Well, they were very aggressive on that side, and you wonder, will they be as aggressive on the other side, Jim? And I know Goldman, your whole firm, and J.P. Morgan and many others think this. I did an interview out in Phoenix this week with a hedge fund manager, Mark Spitznagel. He's kind of a unique thinker with Nassim Taleb, et cetera, sort of that crew. He doesn't think there's any way they're going to go seven times because the balance sheet is too big, and they don't want to screw up on the other side. What's your take? Listen, I sympathise with both views. Uh, I'm trying to keep an open mind um, and and, and thanking the fact I'm not a trader or or an active participant every day of my life anymore because it would be a nightmare. But uh, I I think we get the first hints of that in these FOMC minutes. Clearly, some members are bothered about uh, too excessive tightening of financial conditions. Uh, You mentioned my old firm. I mean, what is it, getting on for... 25 years ago, I helped uh, the team create a financial conditions index as a lead leading indicator. Uh, under Greenspan and especially Bernanke and Yellen, they basically used that as their framework. Uh, and obviously, if yep. financial conditions carry on tightening the way they are, it will make some Fed members worried that the economy will slow down dramatically and they'll be back worrying about deflation in another year. So it, it's a very, very tricky situation. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I think the Fed's framework still hasn't 
really clarified itself ever since they changed their, their formal bias to just above 2% inflation. We don't really know what they think that means, how much of it they can handle. Uh, yeah. And they're going to get dragged around by the data in the markets. And unfortunately, for those uh, very active in the markets day to day, yeah, you just got to deal with it. And, but it strikes me that we are going to yeah. get more volatility. And at the margin, uh, I think we're going to be a bit weaker a few months out in the, in the equity market from where we are today. A bit weaker, a few months out. Jim O'Neill, always appreciate your unique view, especially when you agree with me, Jim. Then you're welcome back every <laughs> single day. Jim O'Neill. <laughs> Jim, thank you very much. Cheers. Real pleasure to get your views on that as well. And folks, yeah, seven rate hikes. Jim doesn't think so. We'll see. All right. We got a lot more to do. And when we come back on this Thursday, a key test on inflation. We just talked about it. Walmart writing its quarterly results. What you need to watch in the numbers. Plus, a crypto clash as a split between Janet Yellen and the White House, reportedly putting a hold on plans over digital assets. And some investors showing serious love to one food delivery company. We'll tell you who, we'll tell you why. It's your mystery chart. Get another cup of coffee. We are back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools all right, welcome or welcome back and good Thursday morning. Let's get a check on some other top stories that are happening right now, including Moderna's CEO offering a timeline on an Omicron-specific booster shot. Savannah now is here with that and more. Savannah, good morning. Hey, Brian, good morning. So, yes, Stefan Bonsell says the company is aiming to have that shot ready by August. Speaking with Reuters, Bonsell says Moderna is still gathering clinical data to determine whether that vaccine would offer better protection than a new dose of the existing jab. Last month, the company began clinical trials of the Omicron-focused shot, but initial results from studies in monkeys showed the jab may not offer stronger protection than a new dose of the existing vaccine. Bonsell adds that Moderna could also have a vaccine which would protect simultaneously against COVID and the flu and other respiratory diseases by August of 2023. Division within the Biden administration reportedly delaying its rollout of a policy on cryptos, including a potential digital dollar. According to Bloomberg, an executive order on the matter was expected to be signed off on at the start of this year, but a fight between Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's staff and officials on the National Economic Council slowed its process. The report adds that senior administration officials have now completed a draft version that is ready for President Biden's consideration. 
but further action could be delayed because of the Ukraine crisis. Speaking of crypto, Berkshire Hathaway's Charlie Munger ripping the digital assets as beneath contempt. Munger making those comments yesterday, also issuing a dire warning on inflation, calling surging prices the biggest threat second only to a nuclear war. Adding printing too much money leads to terrible trouble. There's never been anything quite like what we're doing now. And we do know from what's happened in other nations, if you if you try and print too much money, it eventually causes terrible trouble. And we are closer to terrible trouble than, than we've been in the past, but it may still be a long way off. And Brian Munger also said it's massively stupid for tensions between the U.S. and China to escalate and continue to slam the new wave of trading platforms that fuels market activity driven by retail investors. Why we love Charlie doesn't yeah. mumble his, and exactly. mix up his words. He calls exactly. it. I think when you're night. 97, I think he is. You can I think so. you the, you've earned it. Oh, yeah. To say Absolutely. what you think. Savannah, thank you very much. You got it, Brian. Uh, so have we, by the way, even at, you know, 25 <laughs> or 50, whatever it is. All right. So thank you very much. All right. On deck. It is deja vu all over again. Congress racing to strike a deal to avoid yet another. Yep. Another government shutdown. We're going to outline the key sticking points. We march closer to tomorrow's deadline. We are back in a moment. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. Let us hit the world outside of money and business and get some key headlines there, including some potential changes coming to some COVID-related mandates. NBC's Stephen Romo is in New York now with that and more. Stephen. Yeah, Brian, a lot of COVID updates this morning. The CDC expected to loosen its indoor mask guidelines as early as next week. Two people familiar with that situation say the agency is considering basing the benchmark for masks on the level of severe disease and hospitalization in communities. Many states have already started easing restrictions, including New York and California. The third time was not the charm for Michaela Schifrin. The greatest solemn skier in the history of the sport failed to finish her third and final individual event. Her ski caught a gate, which sent her tumbling during the slalom portion of the Alpine combined. She still has one more shot at gold in the mixed team parallel event coming up on Saturday. 
And the Los Angeles Rams have celebrated their Super Bowl win with a parade through the city. Several open-top buses and were filled with players and coaches. They traveled down the one-mile route in downtown as fans cheered them on. A rally was then held at L.A.'s Memorial Coliseum. It is the first championship parade since 2014 in L.A. after the Dodgers and Lakers were both denied theirs, of course, due to the pandemic. Brian, back to you. All right, Stephen Rommel, thank you very much. All right, still on deck. Lumber prices quietly, don't tell anybody, quietly surging in recent weeks. But maybe you don't care, but you probably do care about housing, and we're going to give you potential sticker shock for what rising lumber prices actually mean for homes. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. You missed the show, you're on the road, whatever. Stream it, download it, listen to it today. We're back right after this. Dow Futures, they are down a couple of tenths. And we're back after this. Grab another coffee, a rocky trading day could be ahead as investors once again juggling the Fed over here and Russia-Ukraine tensions over there. A tough crowd, record numbers, some good supply news, supply chain news, and it's all not enough. NVIDIA shares down a couple of percent. And just how bad is inflation? We may find out as Walmart gets set to roll out its latest numbers. It's Thursday, February 17th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Right, welcome or welcome back and good Thursday morning, everybody. I am Brian. It's good to be back with you as well. Let's get right now to your Thursday money. Stock futures, sorry to say they are down across the board. Not a huge amount, but a couple of tenths of 8% as well. Dow futures off uh, triple digits, about 137 points right now. All coming into what's been a decent week for two groups, tech and small cap. In fact, the NASDAQ 100 is up about 2.5% in the first three trading days of this week. So we've had some strength. A lot of time left this morning. We'll see if that rotates. Obviously, keep in mind, Monday is a market holiday. In the bond market, you got yields still just sitting right above 2% on that tenure as well. And you heard Jim O'Neill, former head of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, say earlier in the program that if we see Russia sort of you know go away and de-escalate the situation, we could see a pretty big move in the bond market. Also want to check energy. It's had a big move higher as well. That market watching what happens, it's really more of a natural gas than an oil story. Still, nat gas and oil all down about the same today. Those I talked to in that world, maybe not as convinced that Putin and Russia will go into Ukraine. Everybody's got their own views. That's kind of the, some of the oil and gas thoughts. By the way, as oil and gas have come up, oil and gas stocks have made investors a lot of money in the last couple of months. Look at the XLE the biggest energy ETF, it is up more than 24% so far just this year. You know I do these power city indexes once in a while, 39 different uh, metro markets, the 12 biggest companies. I just looked back on my flight to Phoenix. It's not even going to be close. Unless something big changes, not only is Houston so far above every other city, it's the only of the 39 that's actually higher this year. Wow. And somebody called Paul Bunyan. Because lumber growing strong once again. Lumber futures up more than 30% this month. The reason? Well, it's really a few things, including sawmills trying to keep up with demand. you got some wildfires hitting inventory and continued tariffs on Canadian lumber as well, of course, as some blockades over bridges. Now, maybe you don't trade lumber 
So you don't care. Well, how about this? We'll call this a mini RBI since I'm sorry we don't have one for you today. Lumber futures over $1,000 and the price, the average price of a new single family home will go up by nearly $19,000. That according to the National Association of Home Builders. Think about that. Lumber futures over a thousand bucks. You're going to pay more than 19,000 on average if you buy a newly constructed home. And of course, it also goes into things like rebuilds and any kind of construction or home improvement project you want to do as well. It's not just new homes. All right, let's get out of the markets and get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines, including the Senate taking things right down to the wire yet again, as well as some pushback on how much Tim Cook is getting paid. Either way, Savannah, I think it'll be a lot, but yeah. you've got the news. <laughs> That's right, Brian. Well, let's start with the Senate because Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says lawmakers are expected to hold a procedural vote on a stopgap funding bill today. The measure would keep the U.S. government running through March 11th. The bill, which has already been approved by the House, would avert a partial shutdown with existing money set to expire at midnight on Friday. Meanwhile, Hasbro is facing a proxy fight from a little-known investment firm, AltaFox Capital Management, which has a 2.5% stake in the toy maker, has nominated five directors to the board. The firm is also seeking changes, including a spinoff of its fast-growing Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming business, which includes games such as Dungeons & Dragons. Alta Fox says it's spoken to Hasbro, noting the stock is lower than it was five years ago and significantly trails the broader market. Hasbro says management and the board have talked with Alta Fox to better understand its views. ISS is, sur- is urging Apple shareholders to vote against CEO Tim Cook's pay and bonus package. In a letter to clients, the influential proxy advisory firm cites concerns about the size and structure of Cook's equity award last year. Cook earned nearly $99 million in 2021 versus about $15 million in 2020. More than $80 million is from stock awards, and ISS says half of that is not tied to performance. Cook's pay is roughly 1,400 times that of the average Apple employee, according to a filing disclosed last month. Apple has declined to comment. The company holds its annual meeting the first week of March, Brian. And we will be paying certainly oh, attention, yes. maybe a little very pushback close. there. Yeah. yeah, big story. Silvana, yeah. thank you very much. You got it. All right, call this good, not being good enough. NVIDIA shares lower, despite what by any measure appeared to be a pretty doggone good quarter. Let's find out what happened and bring in Angelo Zeno, Senior Industry Analyst for Equity Research at CFRA, joining us on the phone. Uh, good, not good enough, Angelo, or was there something under the hood here that we're not highlighting? Well, I, you know, I don't think necessarily. I mean, as far as NVIDIA is concerned, you know, this is one of those cases where, um, you know, to your point, you know, uh, I think typically the expectations are extremely high kind of going into an event like this. And then um, they, it seems like they can never do enough um, as far as the numbers are concerned. But at the end of the day, this is a company that, um, you know, beat on the top and the bottom line, provided guidance uh, um, well above where the, the expectations were. And I think, um, when you kind of look at their addressable market opportunity here, which really has no boundaries over the next five to ten years, um, we remain very excited about the, the broader NVIDIA story. And we do think, you know, invest, investors eventually come back to the name here um, in the coming weeks. 
Okay, yeah, because there's, there's something there. And, and I, I was looking at your note, and you, we know the industry itself, according to you, I think it's 22% growth last year, down to 9% growth this year. It's still not, you know, those are still pretty good numbers in parts of it. Data center on the upside. What's the risk to even that growth, Angela? What's the market that when you look at it, you think, okay, I'm not as sure about this than the other things? Yeah, so as far as kind of, you know, the, the segments are concerned, I mean, this is a business that or a company that's being driven, right, by data centers and the gaming side of things. We do think data centers right now, you kind of look at, um, you know, growing north of 70% here for the quarter, gaming about 37%. I think the question is always uh, the sustainability of uh, some of the orders that we're seeing for NVIDIA as well as for the broader industry. Um, as we kind of look through 2022, especially on the data center side of things, um, where we're most excited about, we think that the business can continue to grow at about a 30% clip. And um, that's really kind of driven by just that massive CapEx cycle, the fact that they're tied to the highest free cash flow generators in the world with the likes of, you know, an Alphabet and, and Meta, among others. So, you know, on that side of things, we remain extremely excited. Um, you know, again, the sustainability kind of going into 2023 is, is where I think investors continue to have questions about. All good things eventually come to an end in terms of kind of these chip cycles. But, you know, we're about nine quarters into an, uh, 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 an up cycle that typically lasts about eight to 11 quarters. This feels like a different stri- a cycle, a much stronger cycle. And we do think, you know, invest, uh, most companies right now are trying to manage a soft landing eventually when that does occur, likely in 2023. Yeah. Uh, I was out in Phoenix at a conference, Angelo, and I had this, the opportunity to speak with uh, the CEO of On Semiconductor. And, it, you know, we aired it yesterday morning and he was bullish on that transition to cars. But he he said he didn't think supply chains, and at least in his market, were going to get markedly better anytime soon. So on one hand, you hear some positive. He was a little less positive. Uh, where do we really stand with some of these chip shortages? Or does it really come down to what the company's manufacturing capability is and or the type of market they are in? Yeah, so I think it does have a lot to do with the type of chips we're talking about. So a lot of these trailing edge type of chips, the ones we're talking about, you know, within the automotive and industrial end markets are clearly the ones that are most supply constrained at the moment. These chips also go into areas like a data center, among other markets, and it's it's part of the reason why NVIDIA can't produce as many chips as maybe they want to to, to uh, sell. Um, but a company like OnSemi, um, as well as an X- NXP, among others, um, we think kind of will continue to, to benefit from the, the greater content story um, within the auto space. And, you know, our view is content will grow about 5 to 10% annually here in the coming years. So that's a great thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, you know, the supply constraints probably remain um, at least in those markets constrained, at least going into 2023 at this point, it's that bad um, in the, from the sense that um, we're looking at a number of kind of, um, when you yeah. kind of look at the, the, the channel out there, it just remains extremely depleted. So it's going to take a, a number of quarters to kind of get to where you need to get. Yeah. Bottom line, though, stay long, stay strong. You got the buy on there, Angelo, correct? We do have a buy recommendation, and just for the broader industry, we continue to believe we're kind of in this secular bull market, um, which is going to last here over the next five to ten years. All right, making some investors and listeners happy right there. Angelo Zeno, thank you very much.
All right, let's switch gears and really time to go big. Go big on retail, go big on earnings, and maybe go big on potential inflation because Walmart set to roll out their numbers. Joining us now is Rupesh Parikh, Managing Director, Senior Analyst at Oppenheimer with an outperforming $150 target on Walmart. Rupesh, welcome back. What's going to be the one or two key things to watch in these big-time numbers? Yeah, so I think for Q4, the clear focus will be Walmart U.S. comps. So we're expecting at least a 5% increase in the quarter on top of a strong report last year. And then secondarily, it will be all about the guide for this upcoming year. So there's a lot of concerns out there about, about cost pressures. So last quarter, Walmart called out some, called out some supply chain headwinds. So the, the market will be very focused on the margins. And then secondarily, a lot of fears in the market out there on the low-income consumer, rising gas prices, significant inflation out there. So there are worries that the low-end consumer could, could slow going forward, and, that, and that's a key focal point on this report. Yeah. Inflation is the biggest hidden tax in the world, particularly on the lower marginal income folks out there because everybody pays the same for things like gasoline. So two ways to look at this, Rupesh, that Walmart is massive. They've got pricing power. Is it possible they're not going to feel the impacts of consumer prices as an input cost, what they buy, as much as maybe every other store out there? Yeah, so, so I think, you know, I think Walmart is better able to manage through the inflation. So our sense is, you know, you look at the grocery category, we think they should be able to pass through low to mid single digit food inflation again, at least to start the year. And then, you know, other car categories as well, general merchandise, you know, through our supplier coverage, we're seeing other suppliers raise prices as well in those categories. So I think there will be some pass through, you know, throughout, throughout the entire enterprise. But the risk here is Walmart's all about low prices. So there could be a delay in passing through those higher prices, and that's where you could see a shorter-term margin squeeze. Yeah, and, and by the way, and I don't want to get political, Rupesh, but we've seen companies come out on their earnings calls and say, well, we're paying more, but we're able to raise prices even more than our costs are up. And then you got members of Congress sort of going after them, saying this is corporate greed. That's the reason for inflation. Does Walmart need to be careful in if it does have pricing power? I mean, and I mean this from an investing perspective, and how much it talks about something like that. Yeah, so typically Walmart is very careful on the call, talking about raising prices. They're all about highlighting their low prices, even on investor calls. But right now, everyone is raising prices from Costco to Kroger to Albertson. So I, I think they have the authority, you know, in some ways to raise prices right now. So no, I, I don't expect any significant pushback. These are valid cost increases. Everyone's facing it. And we see it in the in the data every day. So in the latest reading, food inflation was up in the high single yeah. digits. So. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't expect pushback this time. Do we have any indication of how they're doing on the labor front? Are they? Are they? A, I was just at Phoenix Airport, and if you've been to Phoenix Airport recently, every almost every uh, restaurant is closed. Uh, a cup, maybe a couple are open. Starbucks actually was shut down because it had no workers. And I thought, how's Walmart doing? Are they able to get people to? They have a million employees plus in the United States, and and if so, how much are they paying them? Because once you pay somebody more. You're not going to dial that back. Yeah, so Walmart's been aggressive in raising wages. So last year, they did have some wage increases. And I think the labor situation is improving. So during the quarter, we did see some impacts around, around the Omicron variant. But through my store checks, you know, Walmart stores have been well-staffed. And, you know, all the retailers out there, and even some suppliers, they are, they, are, they are calling out an improving labor situation. So I think as we move past the Omicron variant, I think suppliers are going to be better shaped. And I think retailers as well, I think the labor pool is going to continue to improve. So labor is not a concern. And I think with all the wage increases that Walmart's already taken, I think they're in great shape to manage yeah. through this, this current environment. 
And with the outperforming the 150 target, Rupesh Parikh, real pleasure to get your views. No, it's going to be a long day. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. All right, on deck. You're very welcome. On deck. Some of your big money movers this morning, including shares of one cloud software company, getting crushed on their latest results. Kind of a second mystery chart for you. And as we had to break, some of the other top headlines happening right now. A bit of a shocker in the world of aerospace. Federal Aviation Administration Chief Steve Dixon has announced his resignation, and he is only halfway through his term. Dixon was appointed by former President Trump after Boeing's two fatal 737 MAX crashes. And he cited long separations from his family for his decision to step down. Of course, the FAA has been sort of that battle with Verizon and AT&T over 5G as well. Amazon has reached a worldwide deal with Visa, continue accepting payments from its credit cards through its stores. The deal ends a tense, months-long standoff over rising transaction costs. And get ready to pay more for that avocado toast. The fruit, and yes, it is a fruit, it's a single seed berry, is expected to be in short supply and more expensive in the coming weeks. This after the U.S. suspended Mexican avocado imports recently after a U.S. plant safety inspector in Mexico received a threat. How about that? A threat to cut off the supply of the avocado. Stock up now. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Let's get you now some big money movers. Three key stock stories of the morning. Stock number one is Cisco. Second quarter results topping forecast. They're raising their earnings guidance for the year. They expect to benefit from higher prices, driven by the thing we just talked about, the global chip shortage and an eventual decline in shipping costs. Cisco also announcing it's adding $15 billion, with a B, to its stock buyback program. Buybacks, by the way, last year at an all-time record. Stock number two is DoorDash. Shares are soaring after the delivery app reported record gross orders, gross margin value, and more than 25 million active users. On the earnings call, CEO Tony Zhu said he thinks the company has, quote, put to rest this question of what happens to demand when diners go back to eating in restaurants. Stock three, Fastly. Shares are sinking. The cloud software company reporting a bigger than expected fourth quarter drop. Fastly also predicting revenue growth would slow down more than analysts are projecting this year. All right, on deck, the chorus of calls for a more aggressive Fed growing louder. So what really happens to stocks when rates and inflation go up? Phil Palumbo is here with just that. Dow futures off 134, NASDAQ down a touch, and we are back right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back. We've got some breaking news and breaking headlines right now out of Russia and the Kremlin around Ukraine. And I'm going to read them to you. It's a little bit not confusing, but certainly there's a lot here. So I'm going to hit the headlines and we'll let the market figure this out. All right. The Kremlin, of course, the Russia, basically the the government agency saying that they are seriously concerned by a flare up in violence in eastern Ukraine. So that first headline seems a bit hawkish, almost like they are stirring the pot. They add that they hope that Western capitals and NATO will use its influence to warn the Ukrainian government against inflaming the situation there. So in other words, Russia and Putin doing what he does, which is sort of blaming Ukraine for causing a reason why they have to bring forces to the border. Those seem hawkish. However, they add these headlines, which are more important to the markets, I think. They said that it took weeks to deploy forces for military exercises 
and it will take time to withdraw them. Russia also says time is needed for troops to return to usual bases, and it cannot be done in a day. And they add that their defense ministry has a clear timetable to withdraw forces after war games. And they add with this, they hope that people will not believe what they call, this is their word, fake reports, obviously referring to the United States, about new possible Russian invasion dates. So the first couple of headlines seemed a little hawkish, but the remaining headlines seem very dovish. Russia talking about removing troops, that it will take some time, that they're not going to be rushed, but it sounds like they do want to de-escalate a bit, and they're basically knocking U.S. intelligence, or at least U.S. government comments, about timetables on an invasion. Again, just a flurry of headlines crossing just now. That's what we've got. I'm sure we'll get more. We'll see if it matters to the futures. It is not right now. Dow futures off four-tenths of 1%. Let's bring in Phil Palumbo. He is the CEO and CIO at Palumbo Wealth Management. I want to talk about inflation. The Fed, Phil, obviously put out a great note on that. But I've got to ask you this. Uh, I tried to interpret them as best I could, given the, you know, the, the, the typical mumbo-jumbo of headlines coming out of the Kremlin. That said, if we see a serious de-escalation, is that good for stocks? Ultimately, it's going to be the year where it's sell the rip rather than buy the dip like we've been used to over the past three years. And a lot of that is really on the back of inflation. If it's true about what's going on with the Kremlin removing themselves from Ukraine, then oil could come down, which would be helpful for CPI. If the opposite happens, which history shows that you can't really trust what Putin is saying, then and this escalates and you can see the price of oil going up. Oil is really everything. And where CPI is and where inflation is, that's a big concern overall for markets and it's going to continue to create volatility and it's potential for another big drop down. Okay, so that's that. And we're going to wait and see how these headlines sort of play out. They literally just crossed, Phil. So thanks for commenting on those. You put out a note to your your clients talking about inflation. And as rates go up, stock valuations in many parts of the market over history have tended to come down. Okay, so rates have gone up and valuations in tech and others have come down. Do you think the market has sorted itself out by now? In other words, are the rate hikes already priced into the macro equity market? No. I think that what we're going to see is inflation is going to continue to be a problem. Every Wall Street strategist has been saying it's peak inflation, peak inflation, and what's happening? Inflation continues to run higher and higher. And again, like I said before, if the price of oil is where it is and could possibly even go higher, and look at retail sales yesterday, it seems like consumers are still showing decent demand. All of that means that inflation could push even higher. If inflation pushes higher then the Fed has no choice to be even more hawkish than he's been, which is going to create volatility around markets. And if you look at the the yield curve on the bond market, it's telling us that it doesn't believe that the economy is going to continue to grow. And it's potential that the Fed can make a mistake and put us into a recession at the end of 22 and going into 23. Wow, already talking about the end of the year. Yeah, and and there's more calls, more people I'm reading are talking about maybe – a major slowdown or recession heading into 2023. I like the plain speak. Phil Palumbo, a real pleasure to have you on the program. Phil, thanks for rolling with the breaking news. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. See if these Russia headlines maybe add a little bit to the futures. We'll see. They seem dovish. They seem like good news, but we'll find out. I will see you tomorrow right here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk and the gang are going to pick up all this breaking news coverage. Dow futures off about four-tenths of one percent. Oil down as well. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.